When we hear scripture read, we look for the light of Christ to shine in our lives and in our world. Would you say the simple prayer with me as we prepare our hearts to listen? Let all who hear make way, and may these hearts prepare a place for God with us will come to save. Tonight's reading is from the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, How will this happen, since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me, just as you have said. Then the angel left her. Thanks be to God. Hi, my name is Tina, if I haven't met you before. I was just thinking on my way up here that it's good that we started Kids Church tonight because this story has a lot of sex in it. I'm just kidding. Um, but it is kind of weird to talk about at church. So naturally, when I give get a microphone, that's the first thing I bring up. Um, but I'm excited to be here with you guys tonight. I want to start by talking about interruptions. Have you guys ever been interrupted in your life where you are just going along you know, trying to pay your bills, find some joy, and survive. And something just is like a rude awakening to you. Um, and it just kind of shocks you out of the illusion that you're in control. Have you guys ever had this happen to you? Sometimes this looks like a sudden loss of job. Maybe you were dating somebody you thought you were going to marry, and that didn't work out. Or maybe you were married to somebody, and that didn't work out. Maybe you lost a child during pregnancy, or maybe you had a parent suddenly pass that you thought you had a lot more time with. So this can look like something being stripped away that we thought we would have forever, but it could also look like not getting something that we were expecting. Maybe you didn't get the job that you were convinced that you would. Maybe it means that you found out you were infertile or your partner is. Or maybe your church blew up and there was scandal and trauma, but you thought you'd be there for forever. I've been through that. It's a mess. So for a lot of people, this time of year means joy and family, but for some of us, it means that we retell these fun and childlike stories, but we're not really sure that they have any way of dealing with life and how messy it is in this dangerous world. So this time of year, and rightfully so, is marked by conversations of hope entering the scene, right? But have we really acknowledged deeply why the world even needs hope? We clamor on about birth and joy, 
But sometimes the promise of a birth means the death of some dreams. And sometimes not having the promise of a birth means the death of a future. So many of us have probably heard these, this story um, many times, sung songs about it. And I want to focus for just a moment that this story actually starts out in darkness, in quiet. Uh, it actually starts out with a supreme lack of words in what God's people believe to be God pulling back his presence or hiding his face. One scholar puts it this way, the time of salvation, however a distant memory, and the people are now languishing and feel like God is absent. Have you ever felt like God is absent? I have. <clears throat> maybe that came in a time of crisis for you when you felt like you needed him most. And maybe this is why we see in verse 29 that it says, Mary was troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. What kind of greeting is this? What kind of news are you bringing? So this young teenage girl from the middle of nowhere, right, was suddenly greeted by an angel. And we know from many encounters throughout the Bible, like Chuck said earlier, that the most common response is fear, great fear. And just before this account of Mary in the book of Luke, we learn that the, the very same angel here, Gabriel, uh, not too long previously had gone to see her relative's husband, Zechariah, to also give an announcement of a birth. So we know that Mary and Elizabeth are somehow related, and that Elizabeth's husband is a priest and religious leader. So Gabriel meets Zechariah in the temple, and it says that he is startled and gripped with fear. Then the angel basically says, your prayer for a child has been answered. Your wife's going to become pregnant, and you're to call him John. And then the angel goes into even more detail about who John will be in his life and what God will accomplish through him. But Zechariah responds, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And apparently what he said was not the right answer, because then the angel tells him, you're not going to be able to speak until your child is born because you doubted the words that came from my mouth. So then this very same angel visits Mary, and there's a lot of similarities, but also some key differences between these interactions. Okay, might be legible, and if it's not, I'm sorry, you can come get it from me. <laughs> um, but this is like a comparison of the two stories. So they're back-to-back -back in the, look, uh, the, the book of Luke, and there's a lot of similarities, like I said. So the first thing, um, we see that person's super scared, <laughs> basically. Where, whoever saw the angel is really scared. Uh, and so the first thing out of the angel's mouth is this command, do not be afraid. The second thing is the reason for the miracle that they're going to witness. So Zechariah is given the reason that he asked for this and his prayers were heard. Mary, on the other hand, probably didn't ask for this. I don't know how she could be that creative. Uh, so the reason she is given is that she has found favor with God. So then we see the angel go on to give the child's name, explain that they will be great, and then what their mission is. So John is given the mission to bring back many people of Israel to the Lord and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It says, Jesus will be given the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants. So then both Zechariah and Mary respond with a question. Their questions are very similar. They're basically, um, how? Right? Because Zechariah says that he's old in age, and Mary says that she's a virgin. So the angel responds to Zechariah with basically punishing him for his disbelief, saying, you will not be able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words. The angel responds to Mary when she asks how this will happen, saying the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So I think there's a few things to point out here. 
One, Zechariah is a religious leader and was met by God in the temple, and he seems surprised by that. Uh, also, apparently, Zechariah had been praying for this very thing to happen because the angel says, your prayers have been heard. Yet when this happens, his immediate response was doubt. Mary, on the other hand, from what we know, like I said, had not asked of this, probably couldn't have thought of this, uh, and ultimately responded with, I am the Lord's servant. So one commentator put it this way, Luke contrasts the simple faith of a teenage girl, Mary, with the genuine but less profound faith of an aged priest, Zechariah. So to put it simply, Zechariah seemed surprised that God cared and intervened and didn't trust it when it did come. So we have two miraculous conceptions here. One, because it was the answer to an old childless couple, and the other, a virgin who had not had any sexual relations. That's the sex part. Now, both of these break what we would consider to be like the way things work, right? So after a certain age, people become infertile. Without having sex, there's no child, right? So this is how God made our bodies to work. Yet there's many instances in Scripture, notably Abraham and Sarah in Genesis, where God overrides those systems and how they work um, to, to show some sort of miracle, right? But the other interesting thing about these two pregnancies One relieves a childless couple of the shame of being barren, and the other actually brings potential shame socially, right, by having a child before they were married. So Elizabeth, upon becoming pregnant, declares, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So one one promise of a child brings about a future that did not seem attainable, And the other is a potentially troubled future, risking social status and shame upon families. And we also see in this story that God answers prayers. One couple asked for this pregnancy, and one did not. But we do see both women in this instance respond in worship to God for the life that is to proceed from their womb. But God breaking in on the scene for both of them felt like a disruption to what was going on in their lives at the time. Now, we probably all inherently understand that society was structured a little differently than, than it is now. Uh, women, for the most part, were to be wives and bear children, and this would be their honor. They didn't often have businesses or other roles outside of the home. So I imagine that Mary did hope to have children with Joseph, uh, but I don't think they envisioned it like this. Specifically for Mary, I'm sure that she had so many plans laid out for her life. She had thought of like what it would be like when her and Joseph came together and they would have children and heirs and a future. Yet God interrupted this girl's life as well as Joseph's. She would likely bear the marks in her body of what God asked her to do. As we know, childbearing is really costly to both parents, but much more so to the woman in her body. Not just for the nine months of carrying a child in utero, but then there's breastfeeding and sleepless nights. And while modern couples often figure out how to share these burdens, um, and you know they had things like refrigerators that helped, this would more solely lie on the woman's shoulders. So yes, it would be her honor, but it would also be her scars, her sleepless nights, her being misunderstood and shamed by others, and it was to be no short journey. 
So why did God choose to be born? I think this is an interesting question. Because uh, he could have just like appeared out of a forest magically or come as a meteor. Um, I just don't feel like we talk about that. That's like weird that he <laughs> chose to do that. Uh, so to be honest, this, this last year, I've been struggling a lot with anxiety. As a lot of things in my life have happened that I didn't think ever would happen, I've noticed just this surge of anxiety. And a lot of it is actually because good things have happened. I think when I was younger, I imagined that my life would be really short and always hard and really tragic. And so as I've gotten older and I've experienced things like hope or getting married, I never thought that would happen to me, or just feeling like there's a hope for a future or meaning in my life, uh, it's actually come with a surge of anxiety because I have a lot more now to lose. So I, I find that I constantly doom think about scenarios. I don't know if any of you do this. Um, where I'm just imagining scenarios and then I'm like, what would I do so we can all get out alive as if, as if that would help? And maybe it would. I don't know. Um, and as, if you're wondering, I do have a counselor, so thank you. Um, <laughs> but human psychology tells us that we need a deep sense of safety to flourish. But how does that happen when the world that we live in is so dangerous? When actually not much is guaranteed the next month, the next day, or the next minute. And we all know that tragedies happen. Like, I mean, just pull out your phone. You can find one in less than 30 seconds. So what does this have to do with telling stories of birth and interruption? Well, two things. One is that in this world, we know that when we put a beginning on a map, it also comes with an end. So most other cultures throughout time have regular rituals and holidays and sacraments to acknowledge both birth and death are a natural part of life. But in our culture, we don't really do that, right? We like to pretend that death, for instance, just doesn't happen. And when it does, we will take a single day to commemorate it publicly, and then we all just try to move on in private. So we all live under this facade that we can live forever and that medications and scientific, exam, uh, scientific uh, discoveries and technology will keep us safe. So the second thing is we actually live under this illusion that we're in control of our lives and its outcomes. Now there are some things that we do have immense control over. It's like this. Um, so that's not actually very much real estate, is it? And so what I'm finding is that as I try to exercise dominion kind of outside of my jurisdiction, aka things I can't control, it results in anxiety. So what does it look like to acknowledge this truth, that the world is a dangerous place? It's actually not very safe here. Yet, we're all beloved creatures. Things could change in an instant. Your plans for the future might not come to pass. Or they might, and it might not be in a way that you wanted. But in the darkness, there came an interruption. A voice that was from the other side that said, Greetings, Mary. Or in Latin, Ave Maria. A birth that changed the course of history. But actually, it's a birth that those contemporary to it, it looked like it had the same story arc that we all do. It would also meet an end. And in these, and then the story, while women participated with their bodies in birthing something holy, the power was always God's. So sometimes God's plans come to us like an interruption or a disruption 
or sometimes it seems like bad news. Almost always it's going to remind us that we're not in control of things. Maybe it's because these accounts were written by men, or maybe we're just talking about the beginning, but what is unsaid here is that sometimes to participate in God's plans, to surrender our own plans, it looks like giving birth. And that is a costly and painful process to bring about life, to bring about something holy. Now, I've never given birth, and I also just want to acknowledge that as women, there's a lot of stigmas around birth and that that's our only way we have worth and all those other things. Um, There's also a lot of women who wish they could be mothers and aren't for whatever reason. So I just want to acknowledge that and say that we see you. I wanted to read you guys something that was written by my friend who is a spiritual director and also a doula. Uh, So she's been a part of many, many births over the years. So she says this, In my own births and in the births I have assisted, what proved to be most helpful to the progression on labor and to positionally move the body was actually the embracing of the natural physical pain that came with each contraction. Even the ache of a worn-out body serves as direct communication from the Lord about what needs our attention and pause. American women are taught to immediately find a way to remove pain. Even our most most basic medications are pain relievers. And though we're grateful for an easy solution, when we refuse the pain, we miss out on the invitation to be attuned to our bodies that God created. And we also miss out on listening to his leading as we engage with it. So when we embrace God-given pain, instead of focusing on solving or avoiding it, We find ourselves in a dependence and a surrender to our Creator as He uses it it to move us towards the anticipated life to come. So her and I have had many conversations over the years about this topic, but what has always stuck out to me is this idea that when we treat pain as a problem to be solved, it actually prolongs the pain and could complicate the process of birth. So what does it look like to surrender to it? What is a life marked by acknowledging that the only true safety is that we have the promise of the presence of our maker with us, Emmanuel. He made sure of it. So we may have not got the full conversation with the angel and Mary, but my guess is that her posture was something of surrender to this holy disruption. And that she would maintain that posture throughout her life, being the mother of Jesus. And not to say that she wouldn't experience anguish and pain, just like we all do. And it often doesn't come on our terms, right? But when an interruption and pain and the unknown came, Mary looked at her creator, who had tasted death himself, or would taste death himself on our behalf, and said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Or in other words, I surrender. So I just want to give us a moment to acknowledge that there's probably painful things happening for people right now. Um, And it's easy to do your best to push it aside or try to ignore it or sometimes solve it. And though sometimes it does call for that, sometimes it's something holy that actually is asking us to surrender to it instead. So I want to give us just some space to respond, you yourselves, and the Lord and the Spirit in your own seats. Um, 
So Lord, we ask that you would help us to know what you're saying tonight. That we would know that the safest and best place is in surrender to your will. And what does that look like here in a place that's really messed up? When we're actually not in control of many things, yet there's grace and beauty ever present. So Lord, we ask that you would speak and that we would hear your voice. And if we're not at the place of saying, I surrender, would you help us to know the first step?